there we go. Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Josh Corporal. Welcome to another episode of Fire Builders Live. Uh, we have an amazing guest on the show today. Jill Murray is on the show. Jill, welcome to Fire Builders Live. Hey, good to be here. Great to be here, Josh. This is great. Uh, I'm so happy that you were able to take the time and join us today, right? You guys, if you unfamiliar with how Fire Builders Live works, what we do is we we bring on guests, we take big topics, we break them down into small steps, things that you can do easily every single day. And, you know, we right now, like we're going to be talking about the power of letting go today. It's going to be massive because this is something that a lot of people kind of know that they should do. They have that in the back of their minds, but they don't do it. And we're going to talk about how to do it today. And Jill is the person to ask that question. How do you let go? How do you even start letting go? So let me let me break down the, the rap sheet that Jill's got. Award-winning journalist. You're a TEDx speaker. You're the founder of Let Go For It, which is this lifestyle brand that's aimed at improving your situation through the simple mantra of letting go. Her TED Talk, The Unstoppable Power of Letting Go, has over two and a half million views on YouTube, and it breaks down her own journey of letting go to successfully move forward in her life. She is also the author of Big Wild Love, The Unstoppable Power of Letting Go, which which is just has like kind of sprung from the popularity of your TED Talk. And yeah. uh, and so honestly, like, and you've got another book in the works that I don't know if you want to talk about. We'll talk about that. Like you've just got so much going on in your life. So again, Joe, welcome to Fire Builders Live. It's great to be here. God, every time... Every time someone like introduces me or goes through my resume like that, I'm exhausted. <laughs> exactly. Like, how can that one person be real? How, how can that one person? I all those things that I've done. I need a nap. <laughs> well, what? Uh, so I'm curious, right? Because I think that I think that maybe the best place to start will be first of all, where are you in the world, and what does a typical day in the life of Jill consist of these days? Well, I am located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is right in between Philly and New York for the most part. So sometimes I like to say I live in the country with New Yorkers, um, but it's, it's the suburbs and it's awesome here. What do I do every day? Well, you know, we're in, we're in lockdown right now, sort of, almost, kind of. So um, <laughs> I walk in circles a lot every day and ask myself, you know, what's on deck for today, given the parameters of the moment. But um, I spend a lot of time with the animals uh, we, get, we get up, we're up at five in the park in the, we live practically in the park. So we're in our park by 6am for a three and a half mile walk every morning with the dogs back at home, coffee in front of the computer doing, I mean, juggling 8,000 balls, doing a lot of publicity for the book right now answering a lot of questionnaires and articles for publication, doing a lot, a lot of podcasts, um, trying to do some work in between, coaching some people, trying to avoid the news, trying to avoid Dr. Phil, trying to, you know, just keep everything going, keeping the dogs sane. You know, they're my good colleagues <laughs> these days. <laughs> they're really good colleagues, boy. Um, and then just working, you know, this, this, um, you know, this pandemic has really kind of put a dent in all those outdoor speaking activities. So I spend a lot of time, Josh, in this room doing this. Um, so every once in a while, I'll say to my neighbors who have been, you know, air and life, I think for so many of us, you know, I say, okay, put on your hazmat suit, come on over here and let's have some coffee or give me some energy. But um, yeah, it's really been an interesting time. It's, it's a lot of, um, you know, like stage events and those kinds of things canceled. So it's really been interesting to be on a book tour here. You know, I mean, fortunately I do have great neighbors and they will come out and they'll give me a little juice and a little energy. So I feel like I'm not just talking into a, you know, into a screen all the day, but um it's been really an interesting, lots of time with myself, lots of meditation, lots of, um, you like know, self-reflection and things like that, you know, getting to know yourself a lot more. 
Yeah. Or just, you know, really actually really figuring out how to be my own best student around having to let go, which so many of us are doing right now in this pandemic of, you know, all the things that we had planned or all the, you know, um, big events, like think about, I think about all the people who are getting married and all the people who are graduating and all the people who were traveling and all the students coming from far and wide to experience school here or, you know, launching their books and doing all these things. I mean, this moment has really called for so much um, grief and loss and having to let go, you know, not even like most people have to let go where they find themselves in a moment in their, the lives that they've chosen. And they're like, okay, this isn't happening for me anymore. Something has to give. But in this moment of pandemic, none of us arrived at that. It was just sort of foisted upon us very quickly. And I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, we were talking about what it was like to live in uncertainty. And they were like, I said, think about December 31st, 2019. And how we were all like, yay, come on 2020. Like we had no idea. And literally five minutes later, everything has changed. So, um, so, so seriously, I can't, yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better opportunity or a better time to be talking about letting go because, you know, you're essentially letting go of previous expectations, things that you had about your life, your relationships. I mean, so much has changed if you don't let go of those things then right. you can never really evolve. You can never really adapt the way that you need to. And, uh, and, and honestly, your story, because I watched your TED Talk, which was a great talk, by the way. Um, Thank you. Your story was really important. If you, like for those that haven't seen it and are listening right now, if you mm-hmm. kind of had to sum up what you spoke about, um, what's the crux of the talk itself? Yeah, um, I'm so delighted that I could have put my like massive data dating failures on the world for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy to be able to use them in some productive way. But um, I mean, the crux of my talk is really what inspired me to do it, which is, you know, we are not here forever. And so we really don't have time to waste holding on to things that just are not serving us and are not giving us what we want. And so what I try to do in that talk was give people an example of what letting go looked like and how it looked like in my world and letting go of a very long-term relationship and how it allowed me to move forward. Um, And then I give people a lot of tips how they can, things they can let go of, which I call in my book, Let Goables now. I have to give them a fancy name. I like it. I I had to make it simple for myself so I could keep it all straight. Um, But I give them, you know, five very, I don't want to say simple, you know, thoughtful things that we, that we all do every single day in our lives, opportunities to let go, which will immediately create an improvement in their lives, wherever they are, wherever they find themselves on the spectrum of needing to let go or in the spectrum of having the lives that they want. So that was really why I got on that stage was I kind of had this burning, somebody that I love died young, younger than I ever thought would. And I was so deeply impacted by that, that I felt like I need to get out there and tell everybody to just knock it off and just let's go, let's do this. And I had no agenda at all when I went on that stage and lo and behold, I mean, I thought me and my mother and father would watch that talk. I had no idea that millions of people, but um, it's been just amazing because, you know, we all need to let go of something at any given point and any given moment in our lives, me included, you know? Um, And so I have to always stop and remind myself as I did during the pandemic, you know, um, this is a moment where you have to let go of a lot of things and a lot of us are going through it. So all of these years of training have, have come in very handy. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, because it's not easy. It's, it, you mm. can't just tell somebody, Hey, just, just let go of it. Just, you know, just, just do it. That's like oh saying, just, just be motivated, right? Just, just be, and it's, it doesn't work that way. I would imagine that mm. with a lot of the people that you work with, 
um, that have listened to your talk or that have just chosen to use you as an example to emulate in their life and, and a way to move forward, they sometimes, they don't know like what they need to let go of. Maybe they have some semblance of an idea of what it is, maybe deep mm-hmm. down, but, but helping them arrive at that first, I feel like that's, like that's a really important step. I don't know. What do you think? Well, first of all, I, if I had a dollar for every time someone sang me that song, <laughs> from from frozen yes. <laughs> yes and it's like if i'm spinning on something or anything to your point it's either i get it oh let it go or the song i get the song and and it's not it's it's you know when someone says to you let it let let it oh let it go it's kind of like the whole oh you know relax which nobody loves to hear when they're hysterical right, right. um but it's letting go is such an enormous, I don't want to say enormous. It's a, it's a process. It's a process. And you're right. You're absolutely right. When you say that it's, you just don't all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to let it go. Okay. Done. It just, it does not work that way. And so often people either know they need to let it go and they don't want to, like in the worst way, which I can totally relate to, because they wish that the situation they were in that's calling upon them to let it go was absolutely completely different. Um, or they don't know that they, that that's what they actually need to do. They, they're sort of in a situation and something is feeling off. Maybe they feel it in their body or they feel it in their minds or they just in their guts. They know like this is not the right thing for me either to begin with or anymore. But I don't know how to articulate it or frame it into something like letting go. And I don't know that I'm really ready to do that because now I have all this, you know, enter limiting beliefs and fears and, and all the stuff that we sort of take on as we, you know, like the dominoes, as we roll down the hills of life and we start acquiring Mm -hmm. gunk. um, And we're not stopping to look at that gunk and say, Oh, this is, this is in my way. But so people don't know what it is. They know there's something wrong. Like the people going through this pandemic may not be sitting in, in their houses with the doors locked, you know, in the, and the windows battened down saying, oh, I really need to let go of this. You know, they're thinking like, well, shit, what about my wedding? Or what about the book tour? Or like, it's, it's a conclusion. Like I even know for me, it was a conclusion that took me several weeks to arrive at which was, oh, wait a minute, maybe that book tour I had planned, that's, gosh, I mean, I guess nobody's going to the bookstore, right? right. And so yeah, and it's there's almost, an entire process, yeah. And it's, it's almost like, like it's counterintuitive sometimes too, where, where when you're faced with a difficult situation, you know, sometimes your brain just immediately wants to pile more stuff on. Like I need, okay, you know, everything has changed. I need to find a new job now. I need to now homeschool my kids, right? There's a lot, there's a lot to pile on to adapt to the situation instead of recognizing that maybe, maybe you just need to let a lot of that stuff go and, uh, and don't hold yourself to the expectation that things will, you know, go back to the way that they were. Um, well, yeah, well, yeah, because you know, the thing is, is, we as humans are hardwired physiologically for safety, right? So if we sense danger, which, okay, everything's changing, change can be a signal or a trigger for danger in our, in our bodies. Like if you think about the cavemen, you know, they're out in the world and they hear like a rustling in the bushes. They're not, they're not stopping to be like, Hmm, is that a rustling? And perhaps I need to let that idea go. Um, they're, they're into action mode, right? Like we need to find our way to safety. So all of those things, um, I need to take care of the kids. I need to get groceries. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to, you know, promote my book? How am I going to get married? How am I going to graduate? What's going to happen to me? How's this all going to play out? It's like when we are in a situation where we choose uncertainty, that's one thing. But when uncertainty in, in, in 
unprecedented way because not one of us has experience with being in a global pandemic um, is foisted upon us. I mean, the first thing we do from a physiological perspective is look for safety. But I think so much of what I talk about, Josh, so much of the work around letting go is very, very deeply connected to safety, to the idea of safety. Because when you let go, I mean, letting go is all about risk. It's all about losing something that you perceive has value to you. So even if it's something that wasn't right for you, like the story I tell in my TEDx talk in my book, which is I let go of a long-term relationship with a wonderful, wonderful man I deeply loved who just didn't want to get married, which is what I wanted. Um, Even though I knew that letting go of that was ultimately, hopefully going to lead me to an opportunity that would allow me to have what I wanted. It was still something that I highly valued. And so in letting go of it, I had to be prepared to feel that loss and that grief and experience that. And that is never a safe place to be for anybody because then it's like, what does my life look like without this thing? What does my life, who, the bigger question really is who am I? If you're leaving something big, like a long-term relationship, you're getting divorced or you're leaving a job or you're leaving a career or a friendship or even a mindset When you leave that big thing behind, all of a sudden, you're asking questions you've never asked before, and you have no idea to do this. And you're asking now, who am I? Who am I without this person um, who I've been with for so long? And that's such a big question, and it's a hard question, especially if someone doesn't have the big, wild love that I talk about, which is not love with someone else, but love for ourselves, then they're going either to a really negative, dark, I'm going to beat myself up because I made a mistake and I failed place, or they're going to go to a, oh, well, I don't know who I am. And that feels like an awful lot of work. So I'm just going to go to the next relationship, job, friend thing without really spending too much time there. Or if someone is really um, had it, you know, they, they're just really at the place where they're like tired of making the same choices, tired of being in the same place. And they're feeling a sense of, I, I call the first step in the process I developed epiphany. So they've come to this realization, this epiphany moment that they can't unsee or turn away from. And they're actually ready to go and dive into that work of who am I? Um, then that's where the letting go process begins. It really is. That, yeah, like that... <laughs> Because I would imagine, yeah, that that a lot of people go through that inner work. They they fall into that bucket that you mentioned, where it's like, man, who am I? Right? It, I I was this person. I thought that I knew who I was, mm-hmm. but that vision of who I was was really attached to this thing that I value. And now that that's gone, right? Now I have to redefine myself, and the excuse. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to do that. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to go through that again. I want to start over. Right. Right. And uh, what have you found is like the, the best way to help people get through that, like to, you know, motivate them kind of to get started in that self-discovery process. Yeah, it's, it's really true. And, and those are, those are beyond excuses. They're limiting beliefs that we have no idea we have about ourselves. And so, I mean, that is the beginning of the road. I think there are two things that people need to understand in order to get the insights that they need in order to keep moving forward. And, the, and there are two things that nope, all, of all the people I interviewed in my book, all the research that I did, I found very few people who did this out of all the women that I've spoken to. The first thing is you have to have an idea of what you actually believe Like people have no idea what they believe that what they believe about themselves, what they believe about themselves in love or work, wherever that arena where they're stuck is, what do you believe is possible for you? And what do you believe you deserve? Because I truly think that we all do this. We all gravitate to what we either think is possible for us or what that we think we deserve. And all of that 
starts from these limiting beliefs that were given before we're the age of six. Like we're just barely learning how to use the potty, you know, if we're advanced. <laughs> right. And like we have these limiting beliefs that basically drive the bus while we're asleep on it. And the bus drives and then it stops somewhere and we get off. And we're like, how did we get here? But it's all happening at our subconscious level. So when we're at a place where we're stuck and we're not sure how to move forward or how to figure out who we are, we have to resist the impulse to just make another bad choice and actually sit back and say, okay, so what do I believe? Because that is our beliefs are the reasons why we land where we land. I had to look at why did I land in this relationship, which wasn't holistically bad. The person was really wonderful, but the first 10 years before I met him, I mean, I dated very badly, like poorly, just really, I was a flunky. It was terrible. One bad choice after the next. So I had to understand, wait a minute, what do I believe about myself that made that choice appealing? And then the second thing people don't know how to ask themselves is what do I want? Nobody asks that question. What do I want? And again, it goes back to that belief Do I believe that what I want is possible for me? And do I believe that I deserve what I want? Can I trace that back? Because if the answer is no, then of course I'm not going to state what I want because I'm never going to get it. Well, and that's just painful and disappointing and, you know, another referendum on me being defective in some way. So... Those are two really important questions, especially as you're going through those rite of passage sort of identity moments where Mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, well, gosh, now, who am I without this thing? You know, who am I without this partner? Last year, I left my full-time corporate job after being there for almost 11 years. Well, who am I if I'm not running a communications practice? Yeah. Who am I? It's if the I'm self-identity not- that you've attached to your, to, you know, to everything that you do, every, every breath that you take during your that's, day. Like that's, that's what it right. is. And so many people look at that as, as a failure. You know, I, I didn't, this didn't go the distance. So I must've failed at it or I, I'm, I'm not there. Or it wasn't right for me anymore. I must have failed at some, in some way, even if I chose it, even if I chose to leave the relationship, I chose to leave my job. Instead of saying, if I'm living my life the right way, I'm always in the process of evolving. I'm, I'm every so often asking myself the question, who am I? You know, and because and coming and arriving at the idea that that's something I get to choose versus having to just sit back and let it happen, let all the things happen on autopilot because I'm not paying attention or I don't know what I believe or I've never stopped to think about why I choose what I choose. Um, And so these are all very important things to do prior to, in many cases, even being able to go through with letting go. That's what I was just going to say is that, uh, you know, it seems like that's something that you have to do as a precursor to mm-hmm. identifying like what to let go because right. you know because you wouldn't know that if you couldn't identify what who it is that you think that you are what your identity seems to represent and how you not only kind of see yourself but also how you believe that the world sees you and how you want the world to see you it's those things that seemingly dictate what right. you choose to let go yeah and and exactly and because And you don't have to be all the way there, but you just have to do it enough where you can get yourself to that place of big wild love, where you have the ground under your feet, where you know that no matter what happens to you, you will be okay. You're going to survive it and then thrive beyond it because you know what's driving you. You have control over that. You know that you have choices. You know that you're worth the things that you want. You know that you believe that they are possible for you. You know that letting go is going to suck and that you're going to feel terrible 
but you're not going to die. And that it's all part of the process. And when you start to have that big wild love under your feet, because that's how I define it, it's not self-love in the sense that I'm going to go get a massage and I'm going to go out with friends. I'm going to do all these great self-care things, which are amazing. And I would like to have a massage every day of my life. So I would never tell anyone not to do that, but it's really having that, um, that grounding so that when that moment comes where the letting go needs to happen, you're okay. You're prepared for it. You're prepared for it. And you know that you're going to, you're going to be okay. Because if you don't, you know what, you know what I say, Josh is, you know, if we walk up to the edge of a cliff and we think we want to jump and we look over that cliff, we're like, no, I don't think so. Because I don't see the net down there. The point is we are the net. If we know that we are the net, we're going to jump. If we don't, and we're looking for something else to be our net, we'll never let go. We'll never do it. And we'll stay stuck forever and ever. So cultivating that big wild love is such an enormous piece, is knowing that if you're going to leave your job, there's another job or the thing that you want or the career that you want or the life change or the business that you want to start or whatever it is, whatever those things are you want to do are possible for you but you have to extricate yourself from X in order to get to Y and you're prepared to do it. I love the, we are the net idea. Like you are your own net. Um, yeah. That's a, that's an awesome, super powerful uh, idea that I hope people listening kind of mm-hmm. got from that because that's, I feel like that's it. And, and that's I feel it. like the more that you, the more that you put yourself in that situation, the more that you, start to realize that that's true, that that really is true. Like, you know, the more times that you fall, the more opportunities you have to pick yourself back up and learn from, you know, from your mistakes and from, from the choices that you've made, et cetera. And, and actually this is a great, you know, kind of lead in to the first question that I like to ask guests on this show is, you know, we've already touched on a whole bunch of different ways to Mm -hmm. let go, but for those that maybe are facing something right now, and, mm-hmm. uh, and let's just say for, for sake of this example, that it's a relationship, mm-hmm. right? They're in a relationship that, that is just not working and they know mm-hmm. that deep down. Mm-hmm. Well, what is, if you, in your experience, you know, what's, what's the one thing that people should be doing first to start the process of letting go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that typically triggers letting go is having that epiphany moment, right? So they need to do something that's going to get them to that epiphany moment, to that moment where they realize, oh my gosh, I have to let go of this. I, I, I've been holding on to it and I'm thinking it's okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking letting go is I, I'm accepting it or I'm coping inside of the situation or I'm just going to make it normal and I'll, and I'll figure out how to survive inside of it. That epiphany moment is, well, no, I can't do any of those things. I mean, I have to actually detach myself from it. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the ways that I think is really helpful to try and arrive at that epiphany moment is to, and I, I'm a huge fan, Josh, of journaling. So is to crack open a notebook, a dime store notebook, a journal, whatever you do, or, you know, however you find yourself best capturing ideas. Some people like to use a computer. I think writing in a notebook inspires you in a different way and pulls out more of the subconscious. So I recommend that. And I would just answer the question, what do I want? And I would not answer that question from the space of where you are, from the confines of whatever limitation you are in. So for example, if you're in a relationship and you want to get married, you don't want to say, what do I want? Because if your partner says, well, I'll live with you, you may think that's a win. If you're in a job in HR and you're thinking, I'm, I'm an HR manager, I really want to be a ballerina. But if you're going to ask me what I want, I guess I want to be promoted to you know, VP of HR. Even though that's not really what I want, if I yeah. step back from the limitations of my current situation, what I holistically want is to be a ballerina using that as an example, no desire to be a ballerina, um, but not anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so 
you know, it's really stepping back and asking yourself the question, what do I want? And you can do, you can take literally 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes, one time, 10 minutes a day for a week, 10 minutes a day for three days, whatever moves you, you know, you might sit down for that first 10 minutes and be like, "Mm, I'm going to do this again. You may, I know people who are like, wow, I loved that. I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again until you are just the hand moving the pen. Something will come out of you that will jar you to the core and you will say, oh my, how did that happen? And when you're doing it, you just keep your hand moving. You don't stop. This is the Natalie Goldberg technique. I love her. She blurbed my book. That was such a great day. I had like the biggest brownie ever, but you just want to keep your hand moving for 10 minutes. That's it. And answer the question and do it for a couple of days in a row because different things are going to come out of you. But the whole point of it is that at some point, if you're doing this right, you are going to have that epiphany. You're going to write down what it is that you want and realize you don't have it. You're going to realize that you don't have it. And that's when you know something has to give. It's time to create change. You may realize that you do have it, in which case maybe the issue is not letting go. Maybe there's something else that's happening, although I doubt it. Usually when we feel off, we feel restless, we feel like there's a problem, it's about not being in the right space anymore and not having what we truly want to have and may, for whatever reason, for whatever our limiting beliefs tell us, be unwilling to claim. And so I always think that's a great exercise because if you can write down what do you want, And then the next, aside from that is, what do I have? Then it very clearly shows you whether they match or not. I'm trying really hard to make you see me. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not going to show you my nails because they're just not good. But (laughs) So, Well, I'll tell you, like, uh, you know, that, I I really love that. And I I love the fact that you do it more than once, right? Like, it's not just something where you say, oh, the reason that I haven't figured out what I want is because I've never taken the 10 minutes to sit down and write it out. I think that, and, and it's been my experience anyway, that the minute that you start doing that, it takes, it takes a number of times to go through those iterations before you unpeel and uncover the layers of what it is that you actually want. You think surface level at first, and then you go deeper and you go deeper and deeper until you finally arrive at that thing. And interestingly enough, Maybe sometimes you just identify what it is that you think that you wanted, but then once you really articulate it, you say to yourself, do I just want that? Or did I just want the idea of that? And, uh, and it it really helps you like figure that out. I think one thing that's really powerful about asking that question is, and I know the times in my life that I've actually done that for myself, not so much anymore because I do it pretty frequently, but when I first started asking myself that question, it was shocking to me how, how perplexed I was the first time I asked it of myself. It was shocking to me to be sitting there and be like, oh my God, I got nothing. Like, <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what I want. I have no idea what I want. And I can't believe this, but I don't think like the realization that I never even ever asked myself the question of what I wanted, because in the research that I found that I, that I worked really hard to find for my book, I uncovered that one in 100 people know what they want. I mean, think about that one in 100 people. Yeah. It's great. And they're really good. They're really good at deciding what they don't want. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, so a lot of times we're really yeah. good at identifying, be like, nope, don't want to do that. Nope, don't want that. Nope, don't want that. But then the second that you ask them, what do you want? It's like radio silence. Yeah, that's right. Most people, you know, they say, I don't know what I want. So what they do is they say, well, I'll know it when I see it, which is, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, like, 
buying an outfit to give a TED talk, that's one thing, right? I'll know it when I see it. Right. But if you're thinking about like somebody I'm going to spend, you know, 60 years of my life with or a job, I'm going to invest my, you know, 60 hours a week in of my life, never to be returned to me ever again. Um, or even, you know, where I want to live or, um, you know, what I, what I want to do, you know, for my family or what kind of friends I want to have, or what do I, what do I want the picture of my life internally to look like? You know, who do I want to be? You know, a million years ago, I got my first dog when I was in my thirties and I never had a dog before. And I got a golden, I, I got a golden retriever. And the main reason that I got the golden retriever, aside from the fact that they're just amazing dogs is because I wanted to be like the golden retriever owners because every single owner I ever met was warm and friendly and kind and, you know, just, just really cool people, you know, doing really amazing things. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a golden retriever owner. So I'm going to, I'm going to need a golden retriever. And so, but the point of that story is that made me like, think about who I wanted to be. Who do I want to be? Because we get to choose once we're adults. And the problem is that we don't, we just use the same set of beliefs that were given to us to survive in our family dynamic when we were kids, but we're not there anymore. And I think people don't understand that those beliefs are only true if we say they're true. And we only have to use them if we say that we want to use them. So, you know, it's who, who do I, who do I want to be? What do I want from my life? What do I want the picture of my life to look like, you know, from a day-to-day experience? A lot I'm of just, people don't go through that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious, actually, when you got your golden retriever, did it make you a better person? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> did, it, did it work? <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, it's interesting because yeah. that ends up like that. You could potentially say that that was like a mini epiphany in a way, right? Like yes. that's the impetus of, of something of some type of change that you had. Uh, but I think right. that's, that's interesting. Actually, to be honest, um, I've been allergic to dogs my entire life. So I feel, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I feel zero empathy, uh, for, uh, for, for dogs like that, the way that most people do. I'm just a weird, right. I'm just a weird guy, uh, in yeah. that respect. But, yeah. um, but I think that that's, that's super. And on top of that, with the idea of identifying what it is that you want, I'm curious, like paint the picture just a little bit that, if you just did this consistently and maybe it's not even 30 days, maybe it's just seven days. Uh, mm-hmm. but if you, if you wrote out the way that you're prescribing, you know, where do you think that people would end up? I think they would be very surprised at what came out of them. I think they would be very surprised by what they really, really want. Um, and I think they would either, resist it or embrace it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's a perfect, and that's a perfect way to frame letting go. Cause I mean, if you're going to resist it, then you want, you have to understand why, like why you're resisting it. If you've written down, that's what you want, but yet you're resisting it. There has to be something there to let go to stop that resistance. Um, right. Or embracing it. Then usually when you take on something new like that, you have to give up something in return. Right. Uh, right. And, and I mean, usually, um, you know, I would say depends on where you fall the spectrum of big wild love and, you know, how much of yourself you see as the net. It also depends on whose voice you're using to answer the question. So, you know, it's interesting. And another study that I have in my book is match. So a million years ago, match.com, when they were first starting, they did a study of their um, of their users to understand they were, I guess they were putting together their algorithm and they wanted to understand, you know, what people wanted in a partner. And so they developed an algorithm accordingly, except that people never chose what they said they wanted. And so, you know, again, it, it all comes back to 
the limiting beliefs, it also comes back to the voice that you're using in your head to make choices for yourself. So for example, big, wild, loving people listen to their voice. They say, you know what, mom, I know you want me to find a really rich Jewish doctor to marry and have 14 children, but I'm not interested in children. And, you know, I'm an artist, so I'm going to go live in the big city for a really long time and just, you know, do whatever I want. Um, that's, that's my voice. Her yeah. voice is, what's wrong with you? You're 41 and you're not married and you don't have babies. And, and that's what you should want. Write it down. That's what you should want. Write it down. That's it. Yeah. Okay. What else do you want? So again, that's another part of the evolution of cultivating big wild love is knowing that, you know, uh, Janine Roth calls that, you know, silence the crazy aunties in the attic, she says, which I love. It's like, it's not about what anyone else wants for you. It's not about what society thinks you need to have. It's not about keeping up with the great pictures on Instagram. It's not about any of those things. You know, we have one life and I know some people, you know, may not think that's true, but let's, for the purposes of argument, say this life, what is it that we want to do? Who are we? Who do we want to be? How can we be most truthful to ourselves? And what I always say is those epiphanies are the truth inside of us desperate for our attention. They're really trying to get our attention. And so it's, you know, for some people, it takes a lot of courage to use their own voice. It takes a lot of courage to say, I don't want what everyone else wants. I don't want what this really important person in my life wants me to want. You know, this is just who I am. And, um, and that takes a lot of courage, but it also takes a lot of big wild love. And it's, a, and it's an evolutionary process when you can get to that place where you're no, you no longer feel like I have to, you know, I always say nobody ever gets ahead looking sideways. Like I don't have to look, I don't have to look at someone else to measure the worth or value of my own life. Yeah. And even if we have those momentary impulses, because we all do, it's just human nature being able to say that's their path and this is mine. Yeah. Well, first that, that saying nobody ever got, uh, got ahead by looking sideways. I like that. <laughs> I, I'm totally going to use that and I will credit you. Uh, with that and i'll and i'll know if you don't john telling it i uh i also think i also think it's really interesting um the study the match.com study did Mm -hmm. they come to a conclusion as to why people did not choose the things that they said that they wanted what do you think do you think it has to do with a self-worth thing like that's deep down what they wanted but but when they were presented with the option to have it right to take a stand and to actually take what they wanted um, that they, they almost felt like they weren't worthy of that. Yes. I think, I think that's part of it. I, I think part of it is also, you know, the other voices in their head. I should choose this. I should choose this kind of person. So I'm going to here. Here's the nice, here's the nice Jewish boy. I'm going to choose him even though, this guy over here who plays the guitar and, you know, does X, Y, Z probably feels right to me, feels more aligned with who I am, but this is, this is the expectation or um, there's some projection that this choice will be better for me for whatever reason. Um, or maybe it's something that's so unavailable to me. I'm going to choose it. Cause then I, I'll just be safe. Cause it's yeah. going to happen. So yeah. um, it's like I, that, that constant balance between like the head and the heart, you know, like the emotional side of things and what you just yeah. feel like you want. And then the logical brainy side of things where, you know, right. where it's like, well, I should do this because this makes the most sense to marry the Jewish doctor and have 14 kids and, right. you know, play the safe route. <laughs> yeah. Exhausting. You know, it's yeah. funny. I was, I was at a speaking um, workshop. I guess about a year ago. And um, so I was in one of the sessions with one of the people who uh, runs the business and, you know, very successful guy. They're very well known, kind of a big deal to be there. 
and he was doing like these little micro sessions with everyone. And so there's like 10 of us sitting there and we're rotating around with the different teachers, right? So we finally get in a room with him and he says, okay, okay, who wants to get on stage? And we all tried to become instantly invisible. And I'm like, we all signed up for a speaking workshop. Why does no one want to get on the stage and speak? This is why we're here, right? But it's like in that moment, and I, and I remember sitting there, and I remember in my mind going, arm, go up, arm. <laughs> Come on, arm. <laughs> Come on, arm. You can do it. Like, throw it up there. Um, I just sat there, and I was like, because... It's the talk track just gets loud and fast. I'm not going first. What if I'm, what if I'm terrible? I'm here with X person. Like that's terrible. I can't do that. Let someone else go first. I'll go after like the seventh person. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. let them set the bar. Right. How much time do we have? Cause maybe if there's time, if there's time, I'll go, <laughs> you know, if there's time. And so, you know, sometimes we kind of get there and all of a sudden that talk track hits, hits, but you know, if you have the skill set, if you have the big wild love and you have the skills that you need, the process you need that I talk about in my book to let go, you, you know to be vigilant for these things and you know that you need to push past them. Big wild loving people want to achieve their goals. They want to do well. They don't want to look back with regret. They're not going to kick the you know what out of themselves if they make a mistake or they, or they do look back with regret. They know that self-compassion and self-forgiveness is important, mm-hmm. but you know, they want to do the things they want to do. And even if it ab- absolutely terrifies them or they're not sure that they're going to be successful, they're still going to go for it. And so it's, you know, recognizing and being aware of those moments when they hit, it's never about once you have it, you're perfect forever. And you never have another emotion again. Oh, Oh, God, no. I mean, I cannot tell you the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, I spent a lot of time with a lot of cookies and then right. and, and boxes of tissues until I was like, okay, you know, which is also a very necessary part of the process. Um, so, yeah. So I think, I think people often just are really out of touch with themselves. They're mm-hmm. really out of touch with all that subconscious stuff. And when you journal every day, basically what you're doing is you're getting all the stuff out of here and starting to access the line that goes deeper to the places that we don't access every day and that are not so easy to go to. Um, And that's when you, when you journal every day, even for short bursts of time, things come out of you that just are shocking. And you, you need some courage to be able to, deal with them and perhaps choose, choose the right way to go once you have that information. And I think, I think a large problem is that we're, we're using other people's voices to tell us what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like having the courage to act upon those things that you discover about yourself. That's a, you're right. That's a, like a really big step for people. And by, so here, so I want to, I want to put these up, uh, um, but people are loving big wild love. Mary Kate says, yes, she loves it. Aww, also, yay. you know, she loves this entire talk. Uh, and then here Thanks, we go. Thanks, Mary Kate. <laughs> what do you think of the red flags that we all get? Now, I would imagine that that has to do with um, relationships, but I guess it really could be anything. If you're in just a job or position, the situation that you are unsure of, um, those red flags, you feel like, that's just a sign that you really should be writing stuff down and tapping into that, that deeper line that you're talking about so that you can articulate what those flags mean. I mean, I think it depends. I think, you know, if you have a red flag, if you, if you think something is a red flag, first of all, trust it. This is the biggest problem I see people make, which is this doesn't feel right. What do you think? Is this, this is a red flag? Like, what do you think of this? Especially in relationship, you know, like um, we may meet someone, for example, who really, really likes us like fast, you know, and for some people who are not big wild loving, they're like, that is awesome. 
Like, this is great. This person really, really digs me. But someone who is very big, wild, loving is going to say, but you don't really know me. Like, you know, this is, and maybe they can't articulate it, but there's just something not right. There's a flag there for them. And they're honoring that by slowing down, by slowing down, by getting more information internally. So in that place saying, you know, why does this feel uncomfortable to me? Maybe it's perfectly appropriate, but there's something about it that is triggering. It's a red flag to me and I need to process it or, or I need to just go slow. I need to be honest and open about what I'm looking for and what's comfortable for me and what's not and set my boundaries Um, And if it's a genuine red flag, then it's, again, back to the question, what do I want? Because this is a red flag telling me that I'm not going to get what I want in this particular place, then I need to consider that in terms of how I move forward. But I think the biggest problem I see so much with red flags, and again, None of this I say with judgment. I've been there. I've done it all. I I remind myself when I have those moments is that I always want to talk myself out of it because I don't trust me. I don't trust myself. And I remember, I would say like 10 years ago when I first started my job, I remember sitting in a meeting and I was thinking, and this really has always stayed with me. And I was, and I was, you know, old. I mean, I was in my 40s. And I was sitting in a meeting and I was thinking to myself, this is such a stupid idea, what they're talking about. Like, it's just bad. (laughs) And I'm like, but don't say anything, Jill, because, you know, what if you're wrong, right? And then you don't want to make yourself look stupid or like you're not a team player. Of course, you know, you wouldn't frame it like, hey, everybody, this is stupid. Like, you you know, couch it in an appropriate way. But and then I remember and I'm having this whole conversation with myself in my head while they're talking. And then I'm like, no, this is a bad idea. I know it's a bad idea. And I, I know things. I'm smart. I'm like the Stuart Handy from Saturday Night Live. And people right. like me. People you know, like I, me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking, why? And I'm having this entire thing in my head, like, why do you not trust what you know? Trust what you know. Speak up. And I did. And I never forgot that moment because it almost, to me, felt like the first time in my life after I let go of that relationship and started to really develop that big, wild love that I actually trusted what I knew. We have to trust what we know. And so many women will say to me, I can't go, I, I just, I can't go on this, that date or I can't go here because I don't, I can't trust, I can't trust that person. I don't know how to trust them. And I'm like, has nothing to do with them, has nothing to do with anything outside of you. It is always about you. You can't trust yourself. And so again, it's, Knowing the things you know, owning the things you know, being open to that truth and being confident that you know the things that you know and not being afraid to act on them. And that's what red flags do for us is they either make us sure that this is probably not what we want or they confuse us. And then what happens is we go to all the limiting beliefs well, I'm confused by this, but I'm kind of old. So maybe I should just take what I can get. And I'm, I have a friend that does this and they're great. Or, or, you know, gosh, I'm not a perfect size six right now. So maybe this is the best I can do. And that red flag isn't so bad. And maybe I'm <laughs> wrong anyway, right? So, I mean, we start running through all of that. And that's how 12 years goes by in my case. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's a pow- it's a powerful example of, mm-hmm. of this. And I'll put this up too. Cause I mean, Mary Kate said like amazing trusting ourselves. I suppose if we are listening to our own voice and not someone else's, we can hear right. it better and trust it. And yes. that is exactly what you're saying. I mean, I think that it takes a little bit of patience and work to get to the trusting portion of that, but yes. that is, you know, that is deep down the underlying state that you want to be in is that whatever those signals come up for you, that you know that you're doing the right thing because, right. because you're not listening to somebody else's voice and you've let go of any expectations that other people had and are just listening That's to yourself. Right. That's right. And I think I, I believe that we know, I believe that we all know. 
I, I believe that we all know the truth. You know, I was in my relationship for 12 years and my ex was a lovely, wonderful guy who just didn't want what I did. I knew in year five that I was never going to get what I wanted from the relationship. I knew, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it. So I thought, well, I'll just stay and I'll convince him and I'll get, you know, smarter and funner and prettier and thinner and more accommodating and less, I'll have less expectations and I'll be happy with whatever, you know, whatever he could give. And I know that if I do all of those things, I will eventually get what I want. But even though I knew that was not true, I think we know, I really do. I think even, you know, the least big wild loving amongst us knows the whole point of, of cultivating that big wild love is that we get to a place where we know it, we trust it and we act on it. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love that. And this, honestly, this whole conversation has been fantastic. And I know for everybody listening, I hope that you took some of these nuggets of wisdom because you dropped a whole bunch of them on here. I mean, everything from being your own net, right? I think that that's, that is an amazing one too. You can't go ahead with, by looking sideways. That's another, man, you're just, you're killing it with those. Uh, All right. Well, so um, how do, if, if, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to ask you a couple of questions, if they want to read yeah. your book, um, how do people get in touch with you? What do you got going on? Yeah. So, oh my God, so much. So they can, they can go to my website, letgofort.com. Although I'm telling you, I'm getting ready to redo it. Cause it's a little, it's a little, it's pretty, but it's kind of hard to find things. So if there's a specific, a particular thing you're looking for, coaching, consulting, speaking, um, writing, any of those things. Those are all part of the things that I do. So I'd love to hear from you. You can follow me at let go for it on Facebook and Instagram. That's where I'm always posting what's happening. What's the, you know, where am I doing a virtual book tour next? In fact, I've got one coming up, couple coming up, but there's one in August. That's going to be awesome. I'll be in conversation with someone who's very, very cool. Um, and so that's where I really put everything that's going on, my book, you can get anywhere books are sold. Um, you can get it on where I put all of my retirement money on Amazon. Um, you can get it there. You can get it at your bookstore. If you get it and you like it, please, please leave me a review. That is like so, so very important to our us authors' reviews. And so you can go to my website and you can buy it. You know, you can find all the different places and click links and it'll take you straight to where you can buy it. And I actually did an audio book too, which was the most fun ever. Um, and I am the narrator. So, you know, you get all it, the inflections and you read it the way that you intended to, oh my gosh, to write it. It was amazing. It was just such an amazing experience. So you can, you know, please think about getting that if you like audiobooks. I know that I do. And, you know, I love to hear from people. I mean, write to me and tell me what's going on for you. I really, like I said, you know, I got up and you can watch my TED talk. I mean, you could pretty much just Google my name and probably a gazillion things will come up. But um, I really had no agenda when I got on that stage. I had no idea that, again, you know, like millions of people from all over the world. I mean, I talk to people from countries that cannot even pronounce all the time, which is so amazing. It's one of the things I just every day I'm just in awe of that. Um, But I would love to hear from people. You know, I'm very passionate about letting go. I just think it's incredibly life-changing. If I had not let go of my boyfriend when I was 41, I would still be in Chicago on the third floor walk-up waiting for the pizza to get there, wondering what the heck was going to happen to me and what was wrong with me and why I could not get myself to where I wanted to go. So just, you know, just build the net, build the net, and then you will never fear a cliff again. I love it, man. And, and that's a great way. That's a great way to seal it up. Uh, <laughs> you're done good. You're done good, Jill. Uh, oh man. So this is, this has been fantastic. So, so I just fun. Want, yeah. It's so much fun. Great conversation. Seriously. Thanks for taking the time. Um, of course there's a police siren going off. I don't know if you hear They're that now. For you? Key West is just an insane place. We've got people walking around in the background. There's roosters everywhere. Uh, but, uh, but seriously, okay. uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been one hell of a conversation. Loved it. Thank you, Josh. It was really great. Really fun. Really, really fun.
Absolutely. It is my, my pleasure. And so guys, this is Josh and Jill signing off for another episode of Fire Builders Live. Thank you so much. We'll see you around next time. Adios. Bye.